0: Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 40, please. Genesis chapter 40. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. We've been working through, when I've been here, we've been working through the life of Joseph and principles from an Old Testament character that we can apply today. The title of my message is Our God is God of Ordinary Moments. Our God is the God of Ordinary Moments. Now, you may ask, why do I say that or why would I come up with a title like that? Too often... We only see God or think of God in extraordinary moments, not in the mundane, routine, ordinary. Often we see God in control when things go great. Sometimes we see God in control when things go horribly. And we're more inclined to see Him in those two situations than we are to see His hand of control at work in the ordinary, mundane, routine Maybe we would even say boring things of this world. Our God is the God of ordinary moments. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, speaking of Christ, it says, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. In him all things are held together. Everything that is was created by him and for him. It is... For God's glory, that all that is created was created. It's for the glory of God, it is held together by Jesus Christ. He sovereignly, continuously, and perfectly holds all things in place, even the boring, seemingly pointless things of often our existence. We see that to be true in the case of Joseph. Genesis chapter 40 contains a bit of the miraculous but also years of the ordinary. The miraculous is the exception, and there are years of the ordinary in between. We, in hindsight, can see God's fingerprints all over this account, all over this story. If God is the God of Joseph's ordinary moments, and we can see his fingerprints looking back, orchestrating perfectly for his glory and for Joseph's good, can we then not trust that he is sovereign, in control over our ordinary lives? as well. So we're going to look at some principles from Joseph this morning from Genesis chapter 40. We're going to read the entire chapter, but before we do, let's go once again to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, that it is powerful, that it is applicable today, that the principles that are contained within it have not changed as you have not changed. Lord, we ask that you would give us a will, a will to submit to your word, to your authority, to your sovereignty, to your control, to your reign in us. May we live that out as well, seeing you as sovereign over every detail and rejoicing that the righteous, perfect, pure, holy God is is in control even at this moment. Lord, we surrender to you and ask that you would accomplish in this time and in this place what is according to your will. Lord, I pray that you would enable me, give me the strength that is necessary to communicate your word effectively. May all glory, honor, and praise go to the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 40. I should give you a background. We're halfway through the story of Joseph. So he was his father's favorite son. The brothers didn't like it. He was sold into slavery. He was taken down to Egypt. He was sold to Potiphar there in Egypt, and he was set up and framed by Potiphar's wife in Egypt, and he was imprisoned, and God was with him even in prison. In Genesis chapter 40, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, And he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of his house, of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. God is a God of the ordinary moments. We do not know exactly how many years this passage covers but it covers several years probably 4 or 5. And in that 4 or 5 year time frame we have one revelation of God speaking or God intervening in a miraculous situation and we have the other how many days and I don't know how many days there were now I didn't calculate them of silence apparently. God is a God, though, of ordinary moments. In those ordinary moments, he is still in control. And one of the principles, the first principle that I would like you to see from this passage, and there are quite a few principles in this, I'll just be focusing on three this morning, but the first principle is that God is at work in the world for your good. God is at work in the world for your good. Do you believe that? With Joseph, we know that that is true because we know the end of the story. But in our own situation, in our own particular circumstances, do we know that? Do we believe that? Even when we can't see that final outcome that we would like to see. Even when we can't know what that final outcome is. That God is at work in the world for your good. We here see the miraculous in this story, mixed among the mundane. And we don't often get to see that miraculous, but it is happening all of the time for the child of God. We just don't see it. We aren't aware of it. God is at work. For the good of his children today god is at work for the sake of his body the church he is at work not just in the church for his glory but in the world for the sake of his church to his glory god is concerned for his child for his children everything isn't random there is no such thing as coincidence when you believe in coincidence you are saying that god is not sovereignly in control Yes, there may be a series of events, and it may not be that it is the primary source that is directly causing it, as in God's sovereignty. It may be further down the line than that. But God is sovereignly in control in every detail. We may struggle with that, but it is a reality. Here, in Joseph, we see that. In what would have been ordinary events, completely, we would think, separate from God. What does God have to do with the butler and the baker causing offense against Pharaoh and yet God is sovereignly in control, superintending all of these things for his glory, for his purpose and for Joseph's ultimate good. We are introduced here in this passage to the king's butler and baker. Are they relevant to us? Not really. They're ordinary people. Passed away thousands of years ago. Is the situation really important to us? Not terribly. So they offended a Pharaoh that we've never known, never met. Has nothing to do with us. Was it ordinary? Yes. This was all ordinary, mundane, routine things of the governing of the kingdom of, of Egypt. But is it being used by God for his purpose and Joseph's good? These ordinary, routine events? Absolutely it was. The reality is that God governs over all. God governs over all, over the just and the unjust, over the righteous and the unrighteous. God is still governing over all. Here we see him governing over unbelievers' actions. The cupbearer or the butler, the baker, Pharaoh even. Not believers, and yet God was sovereignly governing over them and causing them to accomplish his purpose even without them realizing it. There's an offense. Pharaoh takes offense at his butler and his baker, and we don't know what exactly it did, but they did, but it offended the king. Is God superintending in that? Absolutely he is. God is taking it and causing or using in this situation. Even the offense. Pharaoh gets angry. Did God cause that? Absolutely. Is mankind responsible? Absolutely. But God is superintending in it. So these butler and baker are sent to prison. Is God superintending in that? Absolutely. What's the odds that they would be sent to the same prison as Joseph is in? The prison of which Potiphar was responsible for. God is sovereignly intending. God caused. Every single detail God is orchestrating here. And I think to Joseph that would not have been obvious. I think to us it is. We know exactly how well it had to work this way so that the end of the story could could be accomplished. And yet in the midst of that, I'm sure it was impossible to see why it had to work this way. God is in control. God is at work in the details of every situation. Not saying that God is responsible for evil. But nothing happens independent of him. Absolutely nothing is outside of his ability to cause or to dictate or to use for his glory and our good. And it is for our good. I think that's a key thought here. It was for Joseph's good that he was in prison. It's for our good in whatever situation God has caused us or allowed us to be. It is for our good and God's glory. If God could use Pharaoh for Joseph's good, and God could use Pharaoh's butler For Joseph's good. And God could use Pharaoh's baker for Joseph's good. And God could use their offense for Joseph's good. Will God not also use our situations for our good? People around us for our good and for his glory. Will he not even use people in power over us? Governing over us. Whether righteous or unrighteous. For his glory and for the sake of his church, his people. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authority, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, that is not excusing immoral behavior in leadership, but it is saying that we have a trust and we have a responsibility to submit, recognizing that God is still in control, even when ungodly leaders are in place. Absolutely submit to God first, and then to authority But God is still in control over all of it. God is in control of unbelievers' actions, even if they don't believe it, even if they refuse to admit it. He here is in control over unbelievers' dreams. God caused these men to have dreams, the butler and the baker. How bizarre that they, on the same night, would each have a dream, that it would apply to each of themselves, and that each of them remembered it. That's quite a... I mean, that's rare right there. And each one's dream impacted themselves and that God would be working to accomplish his purpose in some guy who offended the Pharaoh in his dreams. The point is not here about dreams or interpretations but that God superintends through everything. God provides an interpretation for these dreams. God provides for the fulfillment of the interpretation of these dreams. Basically, God governs over all. Unbelievers' actions, unbelievers' dreams, and even unbelievers' future, God is sovereignly in control. If God is sovereignly in control here, if He's sovereignly governing here, can we not trust Him to sovereignly govern the affairs of His child by grace through faith? We trust Him. If He would sovereignly intend in Pharaoh's life, in a butler's life, in a baker's life, to accomplish Joseph's good and God's glory, can we not trust He's in control of our life and He is sovereignly superintending God is at work. God is at work in us. God is at work in the world around us all the time. And as with Joseph, it is for our good. That's the first principle. God is at work in the world around us, and it is for the good of his child. Second is, this is a fairly major principle here, but serve God even when you can't see the good. We can say, absolutely, God is in control, and it's for my good and for his glory, but what happens when we cannot see that good? Be faithful. Be faithful to serve even when we can't see it. I don't think Joseph could see it. He didn't know what God's planned outcome was. All he would be seeing here in this passage every day was these four prison walls. How could you see good in that? He's been stolen from his family. He's been sold into slavery. He's been unjustly accused and found guilty of a crime that he did not commit. He is suffering for doing right. Where is the good? In that, But in spite of the fact that he was unable to make any sense of it, perhaps, he remains faithful to God, and he remains obedient to God. And he doesn't just, and this is what I'm, I'm prone to do, and maybe you are as well, he doesn't just shut down and crawl into his shell in those times when nothing seems good. Even in the times where nothing seems good, he is still active and alive and perceptive. He is aware. Is that us? when everything is going wrong, when we cannot see the good in the situation. I can't think of one good thing about Joseph's condition, except for that I know what I accomplished at the end of it. But if I was him, I would not have been able to think of one single good thing. I'd be sullen. I'd be down. I'd be disappointed. I'd be frustrated. I'd be angry. I'd be in despair. I'd be dejected, all of these things. And we don't see any of that in Joseph. He's not happy about a situation. He wants to be out of the situation. He expresses that a little bit later here. But even in the midst of it, there still is that acceptance of it and he continues to serve God, a continuance in his faithfulness to God. So much so that he is perceptive of the change in the demeanor of his jailmates. That's pretty impressive. The butler and the baker are thrown into jail as the slaves of Pharaoh and Joseph serves them. In verse 4, says they were in custody for a while, so we have no idea how long that was, but it was a little bit, a little bit of time anyways. In verse 5, the butler and the baker have a dream and it disturbs them. And in verse 6, Joseph saw that they were sad or that they were dejected. Are we perceptive when we're in the midst of our own disappointments or discouragements? Do we accept that God is sovereign in control so much so that we are content with it in spite of the fact that we don't like it? Enough so that we are perceptive when somebody else is sad around us, when somebody else is discouraged or is seemingly defeated around us. For myself, I'm prone to, I'm so self-centered in those moments that I wouldn't notice if somebody else looks sad or not. I could care less if somebody else was sad. That's what we're prone to do. Joseph is in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He's been there for several years. And he trusts God's sovereignty enough that he notices that his cellmates are sad. His attention is not on himself. Keep your eyes open. Even in the midst of your difficulties... The first thing about serving God when you can't see the good is to keep your eyes open. Joseph could have been dejected himself, but he is strangely at peace in jail, enough so that he notices sadness. Opportunities present themselves if we are aware and sensitive and perceptive to what is happening around us, even in the midst of our own chaos. Remove the blindness of your own situation and look around you. One of the greatest causes of stress, anxiety, depression, and a whole litany of other troubles is our tendency to be self-absorbed. And I encourage you to stop looking in the mirror at your own struggle or failure and start lifting your eyes to others around you. It's one of the greatest things you can do for yourself, never mind for them, is to take your focus off yourself and find somebody else that you can minister to. Because when you minister to somebody else, you bring healing to yourself. So in the midst of whatever despair you may be, whatever situation, whatever prison you may feel has confined you, serve God faithfully, by taking your eyes off yourself and looking around. Keep your eyes open. Also, keep God at the forefront of everything in your situation. This can be hard to do, but if we realize God truly is governing everything for our good and for his glory, it helps. The butler and the baker tell Joseph that they had a dream, and Joseph responds with, God at the forefront of his mind. Interpretations belong to God. That's probably not the first thing I would have said if some cellmate says I had a dream last night. I said, I really don't care about your dream last night. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact me. Uh, where, where's his mind though? His mind is on God. His mind is set upon God. And so the first thing that comes out of his mouth after they say that they've had a dream and they look sad is, interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dream. God knows. Now that can sound like a cliche answer, but it need not be. God does know. God is in control, even of your dream. This is not random, he's saying. Stay aware of the divine, even in the midst of your chaos. So, when you can't see good in a situation, serve God anyway. By keeping your eyes open, by seeing God in everything, and by trusting God to intervene. Joseph trusts God to give him the interpretation of the dream, and God does. Joseph trusts God to fulfill the interpretation of the dream And God does. God is not removed from us, even when we don't see him or feel him or we cannot find the goodness in our situation. He is still at work. He delights to intervene. We need to keep our eyes open to him. We need to keep him at the forefront of our minds and we need to trust him in the midst of our situation. And this went beyond trusting that God would fulfill the interpretation of the dream. We see Joseph trusting God and acting for God even when Joseph may have felt abandoned. I don't think this would have been a dream that Joseph was interested in interpreting or interested in seeing the results. Joseph sees God at work in someone else's life, in giving them dreams and in fulfilling those dreams. Don't you think his mind would have went back to the dreams that he'd had? And where is his fulfillment of that? Remember the sheaves of wheat bowing down to his sheaf, the sun, moon, and stars, his brothers, his parents, his mother and father bowing down to him? He had dreamed these dreams. They were of God, and yet here he is languishing in prison. Now, we don't know exactly how old Joseph is here. But two years after this event is when Pharaoh had his dream, which Joseph interprets, and is then raised up to power in Egypt. At that point, Joseph is 30 years old. So, Joseph here is 27 or 28. If you remember that he was sold into slavery when he was 17, he's been in slavery or in prison split between those two times or those two places for about 10 years. What has become of his dreams? What has become of what God has promised? Where is God's faithfulness to Joseph? Why would Joseph be able to interpret dreams and see them fulfilled in somebody else three days later when God had given him a dream and 10 years later it's still not fulfilled? If I was in that situation, I'm sure most of us We'd probably respond the same. We'd we'd feel a little abandoned. We'd be questioning, okay, God, where are you? Ten years. Ten years, God. And, And what's the deal with this? You give me a dream and you let me sit here for ten years and you give these guys a dream who aren't believers, don't trust in you, are rightly convicted of a crime and are in prison, and you fulfill that dream in three days. God is faithful. God has a plan. God is in control. It actually gets worse because after Joseph sees God accomplish this, because three days after this, it's accomplished. And what happens? Joseph has high expectations. I'm going to be set free. Because now the butler, who has the ear of the king, will make an appeal for me. And the last verse there says, the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Ah, finally there's a chance Joseph's thinking, I'll get out of here. I've helped out someone who has the ear of fear. My day is coming only to be forgotten. It can be painful at times to see God work for somebody else's good while we struggle, especially to have God use us for someone else's blessing while we're still in the midst of struggle. And yet God is in control. God was testing Joseph. God is preparing him for great things. But it was definitely through the furnace of affliction and it would not have seemed at any point in there, I can't imagine that it seemed fair or that it seemed right or that it seemed just. And yet God was accomplishing great things. Even there in that prison, God is at work. God is the God of the ordinary painful trying moments and he will accomplish our good and he will accomplish his glory in his time. With the butler and the baker, it was three days. With Joseph, it was more than 10 years. There's still another two years that he spends in prison here. Another principle for you today, continue to seek what is good. Even when you can't see the good in your situation, continue to seek what is good. There is a temptation, particularly for mature, older believers. It is a temptation to trust God and do absolutely nothing. We somehow think it is spiritual just to say we're trusting God while, in fact, we sit on our laurels. Maybe that's not a temptation for you, I know it is for me. It's easy to say, I'm just trusting God. We can trust God with that and then do nothing about it. Joseph trusted God. We see him trusting God, but we also see Joseph actually taking action. Joseph has been enslaved for a few years. We can imprisoned for a few more. But he is still trusting God. He is also looking for opportunity to advance himself. He's looking for opportunity for justice to be done. Trusting God doesn't mean doing nothing. Joseph interprets the butler's dream and then seeks something from the butler. Verse 14, he says, Remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Joseph actually pursues his freedom. Joseph appeals to the butler's kindness and even to the butler's sense of responsibility because of Joseph's kindness. Joseph even speaks or tries to speak to the highest power in the land, to Pharaoh himself. We should not be afraid of seeking opportunity, even if it means appealing to people in authority. His situation is not good, and it can be made much better, so he pursues it. He does something. Don't couch apathy or even dejection in spirituality by just saying, I'm trusting God while doing nothing. Continue to seek remedy to injustice recognize injustice for what it is, that it is an injustice. Joseph is not complaining here. He is simply stating it as it is and that it should be remedied. He says, I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. I have done nothing wrong. I have been falsely imprisoned. Injustice has happened. And injustice needs to be recognized as injustice. True justice should be sought. Believers are not just to shut up and take it. We are to take it, absolutely, and take it well. But don't remain silent about injustices perpetrated against you or against others. We have a voice. We need to speak up and to speak truth, to seek justice, to seek righteousness, continue to seek what is true and what is good. Now, for Joseph, nothing comes from that. He doesn't stop seeking it, but nothing comes from it. In the immediate, God's timing was not yet. But eventually, in God's timing, the butler recalls Joseph. Do you think that if Joseph had not said anything to him about this, that the butler would have recalled him? If he had not done this service for the butler, would he have remembered him? If he had not asked to be remembered, would he have remembered him? We don't know, but that's still no reason not to speak up, not to allow our voice to be heard, not to seek justice, not to desire what is good for yourself and for others. Trust God in his promises and his timing, but also take action wherever and whenever it is possible for good. Take action for what is good. This passage, although it has miraculous within it, but it's actually not a terribly remarkable passage. If we read between the lines, it's actually a passage of waiting, of a long period of waiting with one intervention, which Joseph doesn't see pay off anyways. It's a passage about the ordinary, waiting for years in an unjust situation, a wrong situation, an unfair situation. This passage is about the long, often overwhelming struggle of enduring in the face of time but it's also a passage about the goodness of God and his purpose of good for believers. That is the beauty of it. Even when God seems distant, even when over the years he may seem silent, he is good, and he is doing good. God is the God of the ordinary, and we, if we look closely enough, even in the ordinary, I think actually in the ordinary, we will discover more of God than we would in those miraculous moments anyways. We learn more of him and faithfully trusting him in the moments where we may not think or feel or see his presence at work. So I want to encourage you this morning in the life of Joseph, trust him. He is at work. God is at work in the world for your good and for his glory. Serve him even when you can't see the good. Serve him regardless. And continue. Don't give up. Persist. Seek justice. Seek good even when it seems impossible. God is good. Is working for your good even when all you hear is silence. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. You are sovereignly good and we have a hard time bringing those two together. That you are all powerful God and yet you are good and gracious and merciful. Forgive us for so often blaming you for what we think is evil in our situations simply because we are short-sighted. Lord, we ask that you would give us an eternal perspective. That you would give us eyes that look upon you. And we would see you in your holiness and your perfection in your righteousness and your justice. And we would know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that all that you do is good and for your glory. We thank you for your love that in your love, the goodness of God was demonstrated towards us. You sent your Son to die for us. In your mercy, in your grace, your blood was poured for us. And if you would give us, and you have given us in Jesus Christ, that righteousness, how much more, all the goodness of God, we thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to, to live in light of that fact. To rejoice in who you are and what you are doing. Even as we live in a world that, seems removed from you, seems to object to you and to defy you. Even if we live in unjust situations and unfair circumstances, may we be content knowing that you know the beginning from the end and you are working all things, all things out for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.